Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we're going to continue today in our story series. And we've, we've come to this uh, realization now here in this series that as we read through Scripture, as we read through the Bible, uh, we, we understand there's four parts to a story in the Bible. There is the beginning, the creation part of the story, that which, which the, the story begins at. Here's what's taking place. But then soon after, there's the destruction part of the story. And I've said this time and time again, that's usually when we, man or woman, gets involved and, and tries to manipulate the story, right? All of a sudden, there's the destruction part of the story. And too often times, we put a period right there and think that's where the story's over. But as we continue to read on in the stories of the Bible, there's always a hero of the story. And in case you didn't know it, that hero in the story time and time again is a man named Jesus Christ. And we celebrated the resurrection last week, Easter, and we celebrated that hero in every story in the Bible, Jesus. And the great part about it is it still doesn't stop there. The hero, he does something. He brings what's called restoration, and he begins to restore that story brand new and make that destruction as if it never happened and begin to create the story all over again. The encouraging part about reading the Bible is this, is as we see that in the scriptures, we begin to understand that's the same thing God's doing today in our life. That our story is not over at the destruction point. Our, our story is not over at that moment of despair, that moment of like, man, this ain't going to work out. But really what it is, it's a setup for the hero to come in once again. And Jesus, the hero of the story, shows up once again, begins to redeem us. No matter how bad it looks, no matter what's going on in our life, he begins to redeem that situation, that circumstance, that story, and he begins to bring restoration. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful for that today. I'm so thankful. Well, the word that we would use to describe that is called grace. It is the grace of God that comes in and rescues our life through Jesus and begins to restore our story and make things brand new. A simple definition of that word grace is this. It's the undeserved, unmerited favor of God. In other words, we don't deserve the work he does. We can't achieve the work he does. There's nothing we can do to try to say, hey, you know, do it me now. It's my turn. No, it's simply undeserved, unmerited. He just comes in and he does it because he's a hero like that. And it's so cool because this morning uh, all of the kids are, are talking about the greatest hero ever, Jesus Christ. And some of you might have walked in and saw some of them dressed up as superheroes. They're having a superhero party in class today. But I want to talk about grace today. And I, I, I want to read this quote to you by a guy named Jerry Bridges. He's a Christian author. And it says this. It says, our worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. Just reflect on that for a moment. There is nothing you have done in your life right now to this moment that God's grace cannot redeem and restore. His grace is going to get you. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. So no matter where you're at today, no matter what you're walking through, the highs and the joys of life or the lows and the failures of life, God's grace has got you right where you're at. John chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And it reads, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. What is taking place right now? Why is Jesus going to the Mount of Olives? If we rewind in this story, this is what we understand. We understand that what's taking place right now in this city is that they are celebrating what is known as the Feast of Tabernacles. This is one of the Jewish traditions that one of the festivals that they would celebrate that represented certain things, and they would come together, the whole nation, and man, the city would be just beaming with life at this time. Tons of people are there. Uh, the religious leaders are on high alert, and they want to they teach people and instruct people. And so this city is packed full of people, and they are, they are celebrating what's known as the Fe Feast of Tabernacles or the Festival of Tabernacles. 
Well, in this, the people would flood the temple, Jesus included, and Jesus would take this as an opportunity to, to, to teach really about himself. And so Jesus was going in, and he was teaching in the temple, and he would specifically teach in what's known as the woman's court. And the reason it's called the woman's court is because this is the court where everybody could come into. Uh, there were other courts outside of this that were only reserved maybe for the priest or maybe reserved for men. But this specific court, anyone could come into, particularly the women. So the women and men would be gathered together there. And because Jesus wants to reach everybody, that's where he would go and set up shop, and he would begin to teach. And as he was beginning to teach and he began to instruct, the religious leaders didn't like what he was talking about. They didn't like that he was talking about that he was the Messiah and the Messiah had come to redeem the nation of Israel. And so now there is tension in this moment. There's tension during this feast. And this tension gets so severe that people are getting agitated and aggravated. And the last couple verses describe that, that people walk away and they go to their own homes. Jesus, however, he doesn't go to a home, but instead he goes up to the Mount of Olives. Why does he do that? Typically, when we read about Jesus drawing away, he's going to pray. And so we assume now that Jesus is going to the Mount of Olives to pray. But at dawn, verse 2, he went to the temple complex again. And all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. And when they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Jesus doesn't question the law. Jesus doesn't argue against the law. Jesus, in essence, says, you're right. That's what the law says. Let's get on with it. Here's how we're going to do it. Any of you standing here without sin in your heart, you cast the first stone. Let's read on. Then he stooped down again and continued riding on the ground. And when they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Why, why did it start with the older men? Here's my theory on that. It's because the older you are, the wiser you get. They weren't going to wait around too much longer. They were like, I know, I know my junk. Matter of fact, here's probably what they knew. They knew because they're older, they had more junk than the younger people. Come on, somebody. And so in their wisdom, they took off, you know, and then the young guy's standing there waiting until the last. He's like, well, I should probably go too. <laughs> they began to leave. Only he was left with the woman in the center. And when Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Then Jesus spoke to them again. Those that were remaining, all the accusers are gone, but others had come to hear him teach, just saw this moment. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you that your word is awesome. And I, I just pray that in the next few moments that we have together, God, you would speak to us. Uh, Lord, that you would encourage us. 
that we would walk away today from this moment understanding how much your love is for us, how, how greatly you love us, and walk away understanding a little bit more about your incredible grace, walking away in light, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Has anybody here ever found yourself, maybe not the exact same, but in a similar type of situation as this woman? This woman, as the Bible would say, the woman caught in adultery, understands the law. She understands what awaits her. She understands as, as she's being drugged to that place, she understands that her life is over. Have you ever blown it so bad that you feel like, man, it's over? I'll never be accepted again. Uh, this relationship will never work out. This dream will never happen. That, that thing will never be reconciled. It is over. Am I the only one that's ever been there before? Anybody else in this place? It is over. I can share with you story after story in my life where I felt like, man, this situation ain't going so well. I don't know if this is going to work out. I remember early on when I was dating my wife, my beautiful wife who's teaching over in the children's ministry right now, um, that we started dating, and I didn't date her real long before I asked her to marry me. As a matter of fact, we only dated, um, I believe it was uh, like five months before I asked her to marry me. Why? Because when you know, you know. Come on, somebody. Plus, she hot, and I wanted to get a ring on that finger. Come on now, you with me? Just being real with you today. You got to be honest in church, right? <laughs> and so I, we, were, we were still in the dating process. I already, already bought the ring, and I, I planned to ask her to marry me, and I had it all planned out, but... I can't remember which one it was. One of us just got back from a missions trip to the Philippines. Both of us had been to the Philippines, independent of each other. And uh, I can't remember if I just got back or she just got back. But we're still in this dating process. But in my mind, I'm like, I can't wait till the day I ask her to marry me. And so we're so excited to see each other because it had been 10 days, 10 whole days. It's a long time when you're dating and infatuated with one another, right? So we wanted to reconnect, and so we went out, and we had dinner, and, man, we're staring at each other in the eyes, talking about the missions trip, talking about life back at home, just having a good time. And so the night's winding down, and, and uh, I lived in an apartment not too far from where we were eating. So did she, and so I knew we weren't too far uh, away from home. And, and I remember walking out the door, and I don't know if you've ever had this, this thought before, and you're like, you know, I should probably just use the restroom before we hit the road. No, I'm the only one? Okay. But I think to myself, you know what? We're not far from home, not a big deal, right? So we get in the car, and we, we pull out of the parking lot. We hit that first light, and as we hit that first light, now I'm thinking to myself, we really should, I, should, I really should have used the restroom. But I'm like, hey, you know, not, not, not bad, not far from here. We'll just go. And for some ungodly reason, whether it's the, the demons, and I don't know, but, but we hit every red light known to man. Come on, somebody. I don't know if it's God toying with me or the enemy or whatever, but I was like, I was like, it finally came to another light, and I'm thinking to myself, I, I, I can't wait. I got to go to the bathroom. And, I, and the woman I want to marry is sitting right here, and I'm thinking, man, how do I, how do I play this thing, you know? Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I look, and there's a Burger King right there, and I was like, hey, you know what? I, I just need to use the restroom real quick. She's like, we live like, you, you live like another block. And I'm like, I know, but I just don't really need to use the restroom. So we pull into Burger King, and and uh, she's like, okay, no big deal, whatever, you know. And so I get out. Now, this is, this is one of those times, and I'll let you figure out, but this is one of those times when, when, when once you stand up and you're heading to the, to the restroom, you are fully committed. There is no return, okay? And so I am fully committed at this point in time. And I head over to Burger King, and I go to open the door, and it, it's locked. And I'm like, oh, dear Jesus. Dear Lord, baby Jesus. Eight-pound gold fleece there. Anyway, um, I'm like, what am I going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do. 
The car is right there, still running, lights on, shining on the front door. People are driving through the parking lot, and I'm like, I have got to use the restroom. The woman I want to marry is in that car. She is not going to say yes the day I ask. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so, all of a sudden, I look over and I see a bush. And I figure if God can speak to Moses through a bush, come on, somebody. And there is enough room between that bush and the wall, and I'm like, I'm just going to use the restroom right here, right? Let's go old school. So I go in between the bush and, and the wall, make sure she can't see me because that would be completely inappropriate. Wait for the cars to go by, and sure enough, I use the restroom. And I'm like, Phew. I don't know. I, I, it worked. As I get up, all of a sudden I look, and I'm like, there is a camera right there. <sighs> I'm like, oh, my gosh. It's going to be all over TMZ. Come on, somebody. Right? Thank God that Facebook Live did not exist back then and all those other things. I still know they watch that video every Christmas party and make fun of me. All right? And I remember walking back to the car, and I'm just so humiliated and so ashamed that I get in, and here's, here's my future wife just sitting like this, just cringing in the corner. I'm like, um, you okay? She's like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, just like, like next week, I'm going to ask an American. There's no way she's going to say yes. It is absolutely over. Thank you, Lord, that love is blind. Come on, somebody. And we will celebrate 20 years of marriage this year. Amen. <laughs> See, in my mind, I thought it was over. There's no way this woman's going to say yes to me. That was humiliating. That was gross. That was weird. It's on video. Come on, somebody. But she said, yes, this woman, in her mind, it's over. She's been caught in the very act of adultery. Not only has she been caught, she has now been drugged from wherever it took place. She's been drugged to the temple. Not only has she been drugged to the temple, she has now been put in the center around everybody, put on public display. There is no defuting the fact that the law would say she deserves death. In her mind, the whole entire time she's heading to wherever she's heading, she knows it's over. This is not going to work out. Yet, in that moment, she begins to discover the most incredible person ever, the man Jesus Christ. And in that moment, when all these people put her on public display, Jesus doesn't. Jesus does not put it on public display, but Jesus also doesn't refute what the law says. But the reality is, is these guys have now misinterpreted the law because the law doesn't say that she should be stoned. The law says that they both should be stoned, but where's the dude at? So many scholars and theologians believe that they actually set this woman up to commit adultery so that they could try to question Jesus. The woman is drugged. She's on public display. And in that moment, Jesus does not even address her issues, does not address her sins, but instead he turns to them and says, okay, you want to do this? Let's do it. But here's how we're going to do it. The one of you that has no sin in your heart, you cast the first stone. In other words, to say, you know what? None of us are different than that woman. We all have some issues. We all have some stuff. But Jesus comes on the story, and he redeems the moment, and he restores this woman's story. Pretty powerful. Are you with me this morning? Let me just give you a few things that I see here in this story. 
that I believe will minister to you today. What do we learn from this story today? What do we see here today in this story about a woman caught in adultery? The first thing I, I notice is this, is that grace keeps us hidden in Christ. Grace keeps us hidden in Christ. Where all of the, the religion and all of the religious leaders and all of the people, what did they want to do? They wanted to put her on public display. They were, they were so quick to point out all of the issues in her life. And the whole entire time as they are dragging this woman there to point out the issues in her life, they had their own issues. They have their own stuff going on. But Jesus doesn't do that. What does Jesus do? Jesus does not deal with her stuff publicly. He gets rid of all of the accusers, and he deals with her privately, which tells me this, that grace keeps us hidden in Christ. Such a powerful thought. Such a powerful moment in this story. Here she comes on public display, but yet Jesus deals with her privately. You know what the reality is, is those, those, those men that drug her there really, really could be a picture of our, of our society, couldn't they? Maybe a picture of even some of us, right? How quick we are to point out this stuff in other people's lives. Right? Just to point out like, well, 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 well them and their stuff and what's going on in their life. And why do we do that? Here's why we do that. We do that because if we can do that, then we don't feel so bad about what we're walking through. And we validate our walk with God based on how bad somebody else's walk is. Huh. Right? We point out, isn't that what happened with them? So quick to point out the stuff that was happening with her. Yeah, Jesus turns the moment and says, yeah, what about you? What about you? And yet in our culture, in our society, man, we're so quick to point out, point the finger at somebody else's stuff, but so slow to look in the mirror and take responsibility for our own. But you know, here, here, here's the real reason why I believe we do that. Probably a bigger reason. Isn't just because it's, it's so much easier for my walk if I point out how bad they are. I believe this, because you know what the Bible says? The Bible says to do unto others as you'd want them to do unto you, right? Love others as you love yourself. Is that what the Bible teaches? Okay. Here's the reality. You haven't forgiven yourself for the stuff that you've done. You haven't forgiven yourself for the, for the sins and the issues that are in your life. And so what happens is this, is you look through that filter and you're doing unto others the exact same thing you do to yourself. You don't see yourself as a child of God. You don't see yourself as a son of God. You don't see yourself as a daughter of God. You see yourself as the mistakes of your past. And because of the, the way you view yourself, you begin to view everybody else with the same filter. And so all of a sudden now you begin to point out everybody else's issues and everybody else's stuff. The reality is, is that you haven't come to a place of healing and a place of forgiveness for yourself. But once you do, ladies and gentlemen, once you find that place, once you begin to see yourself as a son and a daughter of the king, you'll begin to see everybody else through that same filter and you'll begin to love people the way they need to be loved. That's when church gets fun. That's when church is awesome. When you can come walked in, jacked up, and say, you know what? It's not about me being jacked up. It's not about me being perfect. It's about the fact that I'm a son and a daughter of the king. Because I'm a son and a daughter of the king, he loves me when I'm jacked up, and he loves me when I'm not jacked up. And therefore, I can love all the jacked up people that are coming into canvas. Come on, somebody. Amen. Amen. What if? 
What if we could look through that filter? What if we could look through this filter? I love this verse. <laughs> Grace keeps us hidden in Christ. Let me read this verse to you, 1 Peter 4.8. It's so good. It says, above all, meaning, hey, at the very top, above all, maintain an intense love for each other. Are you hearing the Bible today? Don't just say, hey, love other people. He says, hey, 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 listen up. Above all, keep an intense love for one another. That's pretty intense. An intense love for one another. This is so powerful because here is all the people, all the religious people, all the religious leaders bringing in the woman, probably looking through the filter of their own sin, saying, hey, what about her, Jesus? But then perfect love shows up. Jesus, love, grace personified in that moment. And he shows us what intense love looks like. He doesn't argue with the law. He doesn't question them. He just simply says, okay, let's do it. But here's love. He is without sin, cast the first stone. Intense love. Above all, maintain an intense love for each other since love covers a multitude of sins. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the love of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that his love covers my life. I'm thankful that his love covers my sin and my issues, that he doesn't put my stuff on public display. Let's be honest for a moment. They didn't have Twitter. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Instagram back then. But let's be real. If they did, this woman's stuff would have been all over the place. What about you? If we were to, we were to tap a projector into your life and poof, whoa. But it's never going to happen because his love covers a multitude, a multitude of sins. His love covers above all. Hey, guys, hey, community, hey, church, let's do this. Let's have an intense love for one another. Let's have an intense love for one another. I love it. This is so good. So when church gets fun, we just love people. I, you know, I, sometimes I get people asking, hey, pastor, when are we going to talk about some deeper things in church? And I'm like, what do you mean? Well, when are we going to talk about the significance of, of the dimensions of the ark? And I'm like, I don't even know what they are. Well, what are we going to talk about? The two mysterious figures that, I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like revelations. I'm like, Reva who? When are we going to talk about some of the deeper things? I'm like, honestly, I can't think of anything deeper in the Bible to talk about than the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. It is so deep. Matter of fact, it's so deep that the great apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church of Ephesus, he said this, he said, hey, church, for this reason, I'm getting on my knees and I'm praying for you. What am I praying? I'm praying that you would know what is the height and the depth and the length and the width of the love of God, that you'd be able to comprehend it because there is nothing deeper and more significant and more relevant in Scripture than the love of Jesus Christ. It comes in and it changes the story. And here is this woman, and she's standing there with her accusers surrounding her, and love 
shows up. Love shows up. He takes her into that moment. He says, daughter, your life is hidden in me now. Because grace keeps us hidden in Christ. Hmm. The second thing I see in the story is that grace puts our identity in Christ, not in our past. Grace puts our identity in Christ, not in our past. I think about that. The fact that we are hidden in Christ, the fact that our story is secure in him, such a powerful thought. And I just want to say this. I want you to know something. Your story, your story is your story. It's your story to tell. Here at Canvas Church, we're not going to tell your story. We're not going to share your stuff. You know what I love about the story, the humiliating story I shared about myself this morning, is I am the only one that has shared that story. My wife has never shared that story. She's never, ever shared it with somebody else. Oh, I got to tell you something about my, my husband. Why? Because she loves me. Because her love covers. Not even in jokes. She's never done it. She's like, that's your story. If you want to tell and humiliate yourself, that's up to you. I want you to know something at Canvas Church. There are pastors here to pray for you, to hear you, to counsel you. But when you share their story with them, your story is your story to share. We're not going to take your story and share your story with somebody else. When you are ready and you are comfortable and you feel like God is telling you to share your story, just like Margo and Jeremiah did on the screen today, man, you come on in and you can share your story. And when you do, it'll be a story of redemption and a story of restoration. It'll paint a picture of God's great grace. Secondly, God, grace puts our identity in Christ, not in our past. And I'm so thankful for this. John 8, 10 through 11, we just read it. We see that Jesus does not, does, not, does not look at her as an adulteress, does not look at her as an adulterer, does not look at her through the, through the lens of sin. He looks at her through the lens of grace. Where everyone else is looking at this other lens, this is who you are, you did this. We do it to ourselves and we do it to other people. We label people's identity based on what they have done or have not done. And that's who they become in our eyes, but not with Christ. When grace steps on the scene, we are no longer judged or identified by what we've done. We are identified by whose we are, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that is such an encouraging thing because you can go one of two ways with this thing. Here's what happens. When all of a sudden we feel like our identity is in, 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 in our mistakes of our past, we also take that same thought and we say, well, my identity also is in my successes. Listen to me. No, your identity isn't in your successes, your successes or your failures. Your identity is found as a child of God, as a son and a daughter of the king. And that is encouraging because if not, here's what we end up doing. Because of our failures, we try to compensate for our failures. And we try to be something and we try to do something. We try to prove ourselves to people only to find ourselves now living as people pleasers, which then breeds insecurity in our life. Because when is that enough? When have I proved myself enough to you? When have I proved myself enough to that person? When have, I, when have I balanced out the scale with enough successes in my life to outweigh the failures in my life, only to realize that I'm creating a whole system of failures as I try to produce success? Jesus doesn't look at us that way. Jesus looks at us through the lens of love and grace. He says, you're my son. You're my daughter. And here we see that Jesus, because of grace, identifies her in him, not 
in her past. Such a good thought. Therefore, we don't struggle with insecurity, trying to people please. Hmm. Listen, you got to know something. Listen to this verse, Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions from us. He's removed them as far as the east is from the west. That's a powerful thought. You know that when you come to Jesus Christ, that he, and you confess your sins to him, he doesn't even remember them anymore. They ain't even there anymore. As far as the east is from the west, my identity is not in that. My identity is in him. It is gone. It is over. So when all of a sudden the enemy comes in and tries to bring something up, try to remind you of something, I don't know who that person is. I don't know who you're talking about. Well, you, you do. I don't even know who that is. I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. That is not denial. That is grace. That is finding our acceptance in Jesus, not in what we've done or haven't done. I'm so thankful this morning that grace puts my identity in him, not in my, my past. Because listen to me. He, he, if we continue to look back, if we continue to look at our past, we, it creates a victim mentality. I'll never, I'll never be good enough. You weren't good enough to start with. Well, I'll probably never achieve enough. You're right, you won't. Well, I guess I can never be that. Why? Because went through divorce, had an affair, this thing happened, lied about somebody, cheated on an exam. Now listen to me. I'm not sad. This is not an excuse for sin. Because the same grace that redeems us from that is the same grace that will eventually expose it if you don't come to a place of repentance. And that's why the Bible says, be, be careful now. Your sin, it will find you out. That is grace. He loves you so much that he will come to us privately time and time again. Hey, stop that. Don't do that. Hey, change that. Hey, don't, don't go there. Hey, don't walk that direction. What is it? That's grace. But you know what? He loves us so much. He knows that the end of that, if we continue to walk down that path, is destruction. So guess what he does? He'll eventually give somebody a snapshot into it. Whoa, what's that? That's what's happening in that person's life. Why does he do that? It's called grace. So that, that Christian brother, that Christian sister can approach you and say, hey, look, I know this is going on, and you need to repent and get right with Jesus. That is not judgment. That is not condemnation. That is grace. And it'll come. Listen to me. God's so gracious. He'll come to you time and time again privately. Hey, son, knock it off. Hey, daughter, stop it. It's grace. So glad that my, my life is found in him and that as far as the east is from the west. And because of this, listen to me now, because of this, my life, my future, doesn't have to be defined by my past. All of those things I can allow to refine me for my future but don't ever allow those things to define your future. If you allow them to define your future, you will live as a victim. But if you allow them to refine you, that pushes you forward, you'll live in victory in Christ Jesus. Because my life, because of grace, come on, is hidden in him. And my identity is not my past, but it's in Christ Jesus. Lastly, and I'll close here, worship team, you can come. Grace gives us a new story. Grace gives us a new story. Listen now, this woman walked in, or she was drug in. This woman was drug in, and her story was this. Adulterer, cheater, 
headed for death, headed for a stoning. That was her story. It was over. But as we've said time and time again through this series, with Christ, your story is not over. And in this moment, what should have been death, according to the law, became a brand new story of life. As Jesus would stand up in that moment, forgiving this woman's sins. Listen to what was said. So powerful. All of the accusers walked away. The only one that could rightfully accuse her now is standing in front of her. And he asks her this question, standing in front of her. Grace, love, the only one that could actually accuse her. He says, woman, where are your accusers? But when she looked at Jesus, she didn't see an accuser. She saw perfect love. And therefore, she could respond, nowhere, my Lord. He says, neither do I. Listen to this now. From this moment on, go and sin no more. From this moment on, you got a brand new story. From this moment on, you're no longer what they said. You're what I say. From this moment on, you're not going to be judged by the things of your past. Your identity's not there. No, from this moment on, you're my daughter. Because he stands up in that moment with all those that were still gathered, and he begins to teach them the principle that he just displayed before their eyes. I am the light of the world. Anyone who comes to me will walk in the light of life. She was drugging in darkness and in sin condemned by the law. And in one moment, she encounters grace. And her story is written brand new. And she walks out in the light of life. What about you this morning? Where are you at today? What does your story look like? How did you walk through the doors of Canvas Church? Did you walk in feeling like this woman? I'm worthless. It's hopeless. The story's over. It's finished. But in one moment, you realize what this woman realized. Here's the reality. Listen to me. Here's the reality. The reality is without Jesus, your story is over. Without Jesus, you are hopeless. Without Jesus, there is no continuation. But with him, the light of the world. You can walk in the light of life. God, we thank you so much for your word today. God, we thank you that your word is awesome. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.